In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Put a small child in front of a bedroom mirror, and at first they may be simply intrigued by the small image that appears from it, from the glass wall, but in time they will come to recognize and think, there I am, actually, that is me. And in a sense, that's exactly what Jesus' parables are about. The same thing can happen to us when we read them. Suddenly our faces can change when we are compelled to say, there I am in the parable, actually, that is me. Well, I thought about this as I prepared for this sermon based on Jesus' short parable of the Pharisee and the a tax collector who went in the temple to pray. No doubt that Jesus told this parables that those who were lit, told this particular parable to those who were listening may find themselves in the parable. And this can be no doubt that this parable uh, is here for us, that when we read it, that we may look at the parable uh, and, and say, there I am, actually, uh, that is me. <clears throat> Pharisee or tax collector. Two characters with whom do you identify and say, hey, that's me. We look at them both, beginning with the Pharisee. Now, of all the, all the Jews, the Pharisees were the most serious, we might say, uh, about their religion. They, they sought uh, to be uh, law, God law-abiding. They, they sought for justice. Uh, no cheating. No infidelity. Uh, we talked about the Pharisees, the Pharisees before. They prayed often and they prayed long. Really, it's stewardship time at the Advent. The fact of the matter is, if we had a church full of Pharisees, we wouldn't need to worry about the operating budget. They tithed 10% of their income, whether it was before or after taxes paid to Caesar. I don't know, but it was 10% right off the top, uh, without any question or hesitation. They sought conformity to God's law. They dotted every proverbial I, crossed every T. They had such a reputation for piety. That it became a proverb among the Jews that if there were but two men saved in all the world by God, at least one of them would be a Pharisee. What did, the, what did Jesus think of the Pharisees? We don't have to guess. We know exactly what Jesus thought of the Pharisees. Jesus saw right through their outward piety to their self, self-righteous core. Here's what he said to them on, a, on another day. Woe to you, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. It's certainly not Jesus, it's certainly not the case that Jesus had anything against upright standards of the Pharisees, or that he had anything against praying, or anything against tithing, au contraire. It was that Jesus condemned the fact that they had such a high regard of themselves. Self-righteousness, as we've observed many times, is the most consistently condemned sin in the New Testament. And notice the Pharisees' prayer here. It really isn't a Christian prayer at all. There's no confession. There's no petition for mercy or grace. And then there's the tax collector. Called a publican. A publican was a Jewish Tax collector for ancient Rome, publicans were outcast among the Jews because having accepted their office 
uh, through uh, Roman government, their fellow Jews regarded them as traitors. Once in a sermon, I contrasted the Pharisees and the publicans and a disgruntled man thought I had made a political statement. Pharisees and Republicans. But <clears throat> this, is the, this is the key thing about this parable. The publican in the parable is conscious of his sin. He's weighed down with a sense of his own worthiness. To use the imagery of Zechariah, he saw that his own righteous garments were but of filthy rags. And so this was his prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Pharisee, publican, with whom can you identify and say, there I am, actually, that is me. Well, surely, 99% of us here this morning would like to say, well, I'm the publican because, well, the publican is obviously Jesus' guy. Jesus said it was the publican who left the temple that day, justified before God. And so strongly, by the way, did Jesus feel this way, that he would go on to say to the Pharisees, truly I say to you, harlots and tax collectors go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Because of the contriteness of his heart, the Republican looks more like a Christian than the Pharisee. But which of these two characters do we actually look like in the eyes of God? And I'm not wagging my finger at anybody because we're all guilty of having a higher, innately guilty of having a higher regard for ourselves than we should. We're guilty, at least to some extent, of saying, surely I can't be all that bad, of thinking that we have some upright quality that gives us a merit badge before God. And George Whitfield preached a sermon in 1740 in Scotland on the same parable. <clears throat> he began with these words. <clears throat> If I were to ask you how you expect to be justified in the sight of an offended God, I suppose you would answer it well, only for the sake of Jesus Christ. But if I were to come more home to the way you really feel, I fear that most would make the Lord Jesus Christ but in part their Savior and go about, as it were, to establish a righteousness of your own. For we are all self-righteous by nature. It is as natural for us to turn to a covenant of works as for the sparks to fly upwards. We have had so many legal and so few free grace preachers for lo these many years that most now seem to be settled upon their laurels and rather deserve the title of Pharisees than Christians. One of my favorite New Yorker cartoons depicts this troubled, careworn, beaten up man who looks, looks up at the bartender and says, I suffer from accurate self-esteem. <clears throat> well, may God grant us all accurate self-esteem. Lord, deliver us from the inherent tendency to inflated ideas of ourselves. Pascal, 17th century Frenchman, was one of the really greatest Christian thinkers uh, ever, who went, went through a traumatic conversion following a carriage accident, which caused him to experience a hallucination of an abyss constantly opening before him, symbolic of the uh, dire human need confronting that we all have. In Pensees, he wrote these, uh, at first, troubling words. Man's greatness must come from knowing that he is wretched. For a tree does not know it is wretched. It is wretched to know one is wretched. But there is greatness in knowing that one is wretched. Now, that's a heavy thought. 
But Pascal helps us to see what the Bible constantly tries to teach us, and that is there's a, there's a level playing field in which all humankind participates in, and that is the fact that none of us, not one single one of us, brings inherent merit before God. All humankind shares in this dire need for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which comes through his death and resurrection. And not only the secular world, but even certain modern-day prelates within the church have fought it. Because Mr. Worldly Wise Man cannot abide the thought, the idea that we are all so equally sinful and completely needy for the mercy of God, just as this broken tax collector was. Human nature is so inclined to Phariseeism that the great theologian Karl Barth once said that those who are enabled to cry out in our heart of hearts, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, have actually received a miracle no less remarkable than the virgin birth or the creation of the world out of nothing. So may Lord grant us all a miracle in our hearts. For there is only one legitimate final disposition before God, and that is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in the meanwhile, we know that as harshly as Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, he loved them. All the way to the cross, he loved them and died for them, just as he loves us and died for us. May God draw a lot to hearts and now give doubting souls courage to believe this for Jesus' sake. Amen.